Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Don't miss it. Make it a good one. Make it a good one. Make it good. And? Interview. Mark. Boom. Man, that was, that was amazing. Wow. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen a lot of that. That was good. I've seen a lot, too, but as well as that. Right. I've seen better, but not many. You know, in so many ways, it's, the, it's, it's, it's always the execution of the thing. You, you see it a thousand times, but right. then you see it done perfectly, and you're like, oh. It's well, when things are done right. That's they're, right. They're very watchable. So yeah. That's the theme for today. I'm trying to do this right. Single best set I've ever seen. Really? Yep. Well, my interior decorator, uh, Gary, is Gary with us? Yep. He's not allowed on film. Of course not. Yeah, but yeah. this is... This is all him. They well, he's, no it's, it's, it's straight out of the Who Gives a Crap catalog. And, you know, I mean... I, I went I, with defiantly simple, but that also works. <laughs> I'm not even joking. We, we used to say on Dirty Jobs, like one, one of the big lessons early on in that show was um, production becomes the enemy of authenticity. You right. Know? And if, like, if you're really looking, like you need production, and you got no show without it, but there's like there's no extra credit for anything you don't need. Exactly. No, that's and speaking of okay, so I, I've had a chance. To, I grew up listening to you. Mm. Like you, you, people say like you were a, a household name, but I also think you were a household voice. Thanks. Do you get approached a lot for the voice? Do people come to you a lot for the voice? They just want to ask you a question to hear the real voice. Well, so they say. Yeah. I mean, typically, what happens if I'm. If I'm wearing like a safety vest or a rubber suit or a flannel shirt or looking like that, people tend to know me. Right. If I'm looking respectable or like in a suit and tie, people look at me like, mm, why, where? And then if I say something, they're like, oh, right, here's a dirty job. Have you ever used that powerful voice to your advantage? Because if, if, if you put on a vest, a yellow vest, and say you went to I don't know, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and you're like, Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs are here, we're checking on some concession stuff. Yeah, you get in. They, they would let you in, Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Have you ever abused this power? I have. Yeah. Do tell. Well, I mean, you hate to be, like, I don't, I would never do the celebrity thing out loud. That's the worst thing. Yeah, I 1,000% agree with you with that. But you don't blend. No, I don't. Even with my Clark Kent glasses That's right. on. Yeah. So the restaurant's crowded, the line is long, right? You're with a small group. You'd really like to get in. Exactly. And you don't, you don't want to go anywhere near the old do you know who I am thing. Right. Because it's devastating if they don't. If they don't, yeah. Or if other people hear you. Right. Yeah. Because they don't just hear you. They're recording you. Yeah. And they're probably streaming live. And you'll be on X and everything going. Ruined. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Because I can't hide. But I also feel like your voice can't hide. Well, what you do is you lean in. And the mater d' leans in. Okay. And you go. I hate to be that guy, but I'm but my mom's with me, right? And she's not feeling it. What, do you think it's possible? And then you get a booth. Okay. See, I always do the thing like uh, I just walk and stand in front of them until they go. <laughs> Are you? 
yeah, yeah. keep it. I'm trying to keep a low profile. Right, 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 right. Right this way. Come, let's get you in here because I block everything. So the name helps, but also if you move me out of the way, you have room for three or four more people. So, it's uh, it's funny though, right? How I mean, it's 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 nice to be recognized, and it's gratifying when people like you for the reasons you you want to be liked. But, yes. but you're not in charge of that anymore. No. You don't get to decide anything. You know what? Because that's one thing I like about you is you're very humble. It's, it's just a matter of fact that you're on TV. You're not someone who lets everyone know I'm on TV. I'm an internationally known individual. And right. I always thought that was very – well, I always thought that was very cool because there's so many people who are not like that. Or – you might not be like that, but you have hired people around you <laughs> to be like that for you. Well, look, first of all, really, thank you. From you, that's some high cotton, and I appreciate it. Um, it, it was a bitter lesson. You know, I mean, I spent 15 years impersonating a host, and I worked for every network, and I had a lot of shows, and most of those shows required me to walk with confidence to an X, usually made on a ground with masking tape, right. hit the X, and then turn to the camera, and then in a crisp, well-modulated baritone, explain why the cannons at Antietam were positioned in such a way on such a date and blah, 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 blah. So it's all just bullcrap. It's the, I was paid to create the illusion of competence right. and knowledge where it didn't really exist. Dirty Jobs was the first time I, I wasn't, I realized I was, I think, a better guest than I was a host. But all you have to do to really embrace that is take the pie in the face and and admit what you don't know and let the person you're working with be the expert. Right. And when people see you you do that, well, you get some permission and goodwill. Well, I think you gave. Oh, and I know because I never I never missed a show on Discovery. Like that was it was we watched it every week, and I think it was because you gave the. When I watched you, I felt like that's how I would be in that situation. Right. Where you're actually learning something and you don't talk over and the, you made the, the, the workers the star. That's what I always appreciated. The guys who were doing the show with the star, you were just the narrator who happened to be there. And I think that's why that story, that's why dirty, when you say dirty jobs, people are like, yes, yes. Because they learn about things. And at the same time, you kind of had a little bit of a teacher in there. Because it was like a history lesson. Because when you just talked about the cannons, I'm now curious to know why they were positioned that way. Right. So in those days, I used to call that the, uh, the plaque dynamic. I would walk up to a plaque on a statue, okay. and I would memorize everything on it. And as soon as I had it in my head, I would turn to the camera and explain it, like I knew it my right, whole life. Yeah. Dirty Jobs was more about letting the viewer see you learn. And to your point, that's the essence of humility, to let someone, you know, in, in, in the nature movies I used to narrate, it's called the submissive posture. Okay. I run into you. A small wolf runs into a big wolf out in the wild. Things can go sideways. The small wolf, immediately realizing he's in the presence of a larger adversary, doesn't puff himself up. He doesn't, he doesn't start talking trash. In nature, he lies down and shows him his belly and says, look, I get it. Right. If you want, you can rip my head off. I'm hoping you don't. I mean you no harm, right? And so that kind of humility, when it's genuine, combined with like actual curiosity, that's superhuman. I don't mean like a superhero, but I mean it's very, very it's, relatable. It's so hard today because everyone has to be in control yeah. on TV. Everyone has to be the smartest guy in the room on TV, even right. when clearly they're not in a lot of cases, but they, that disconnect.
So, uh, and looking at some of your bios and stuff, so you've kind of been all around entertainment. So, what, explain the opera thing to me. Mm. Well, it's all of a piece to me. Like, so Dirty Jobs is a mosaic. Right. 350 different jobs, and we're all over the map with them. I think my resume is, is two, just in a, in a slightly broader way. Once I realized I wanted to, once I realized what I couldn't do, which was a long list of things I was determined to do, like following my granddad's footsteps, like build a house without a blueprint. Because right, you talked about toolboxes. That's right. Yeah. So I, I grew up in the shadow of a magician named Carl Noble, who was my granddad, who could fix, repair, fabricate anything. He never read the instructions a day in his life, and he just knew. He, he really could build a house without a blueprint. And I wanted to follow in his footsteps, and I wanted to, to do that exact thing. But of course, just because you love something doesn't mean you can't suck at it. Right. And once I learned that, it was my pop who said, you can be a tradesman. That's really what you're in love with. Just get a different toolbox and go a different way. So when I really embraced that, that's when it was like, never mind what you love. Never mind what you think is going to make you happy. Never mind your passion, never mind your dreams. You'll figure out how to love something you're good at later. Okay. Right now, figure out what you're good at, what's in the toolbox. I could carry a tune. So I crashed an audition and I got into the Baltimore Opera and that gave me my union card, which allowed me to get an agent, which allowed me to audition for a bunch of stuff I thought I wanted to do and eventually did but in that weird moment of looking for a loophole, I wound up on stage dressed as a pirate and a Viking with a bunch of other people singing in Italian. And geez, man, I, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. And, and so I stayed more than the one or two shows I'd, I'd planned on doing. I stayed for eight years. Now, when you look at today's generation, I, I feel like they like especially the Z's and the I run, I'm an X, so after me, I really don't pay attention. I think we got the best letter. Once we got Generation X, it was over, like Generation Z, B, A, whatever it is. Yeah, what do you do after Z? How do you feel about, like, grouping? Because what you're talking about is you continue to progress, even if it's, like, because we get different roads and lanes, and you want to open the door. Like, I wanted to open the NFL door. That's the only door that I was concerned with. Yeah. I didn't see a wrestling door, a bodyguard door, a TV door, a father door. I just saw that one door. Yep. And then even though no matter how much I wanted to go that door, when another door lane opened up, I wasn't, well, let me just try this. Yeah. Was that, but you have to accept the failure that that road is ending. Was that yeah. difficult for you when you were like, I want to do this, I want to do so many things, and when something didn't work out, how did you handle that? Well, I grew up, I was a sucker for, for poetry, actually. I was really into it, and you're, you're talking about roads. There's a great great poem by Robert Frost. Diversions. Yeah. The Road Not Taken. Yep. You know, it was one of the first things my pop made me memorize when I was a kid. And I, and, and I still think about the last stanzas, you know, you know uh, uh, and both that morning equally lay, two fields, no step, a trot in black. I kept the first for another day, but knowing how way leads on the way, I doubted if I'd ever go back. Right? So no regrets. Well, as long as you're curious about where the road's going, you shouldn't be frightened of the detours. And in show business, you know, there are a lot of detours. So the opera 
led to the QVC cable shopping channel for me. I'm suddenly selling things in the middle of the night that I've never seen before. I quite possibly probably bought some of those things in the middle of the night. I'll tell you what's chilling, my friend. Years later, when you do things in your life that involve cameras that you're not necessarily proud of, nor ashamed, you just kind of... Just, trust me. I, it's a thing that happens. We're riding the same bus <laughs> from different avenues because yeah. wrestling to this. I mean, trust I get me. It. I, I get, get it. it. And I love it. But here's what they don't tell you back in 1990. One day, somebody's going to come up with some technology that allows random people to take video of you and put it into the ether. And then other people are going to be able to watch that video. So years after I was fired from QVC for the third time and really never spoke of it out loud, I got this thing called YouTube. And I searched my name and somebody has posted yards and yards of video of me sitting there, either under the influence of two glasses of wine or so tired I can't keep my eyes open, trying to describe the profound appeal of the health team infrared pain reliever or the Amcor negative ion generator. My point is the ion generator. Yeah, it, it looks have, like a shoebox yep, with an antenna yep. that charges the ions in, in the, the air. air. Yeah. And dramatically improves your life. It did. Three it easy did. payments, twenty nine ninety nine. Yep. Or you pay it all at once. Or you can. You pay all at once. But why would you with terms like these? How do you say that? I was no? impulsive, you know You were young. As young. But here's the point. When you see yourself on a screen, doing a thing you can't remember doing, but can't deny having done, the cognitive dissonance that goes off in your brain makes an audible sound. And right. you go, oh. wow. So that happened, and there's no escaping it. And when you can't escape your past, Tyrus, in this day and age, the only sensible thing to do is embrace it. You know what? I, because I will have a match put up that I don't even remember anymore, or... Uh, it was a bunch of TV shows I tried out for in L.A. And there was this one uh, that was like they had it was a fake show where they had like athletes dress up like they were homeless to to box. But they were really athletes. But yeah, they like, tried to dress up like they're homeless. Sure, sure. And I started out as I was just supposed to be a bodyguard there, like security with my buddies. Yeah. But I was making jokes about the boxers, how out of shape they were. And one of them yeah. had a cigarette in their mouth and they were bad acting or whatever and the, the producer overheard the jokes and they were laughing at my jokes so they were like hey do you feel like interviewing one of these fighters afterwards and i was like y y y what me yeah. like yeah you got all the jokes over there once you try it so then it ended up being a part of the show and i was so proud of the fact that i went from being just standing there being security to end up being one of the play-by-play -play guys for the show until i saw it back and i was like oh and it didn't get picked up so i was like Thank God I'll never have to see this again. But I, too, got a YouTube channel, and it popped up, and I was like, ah. Oh. Way leads on to way. Right. You, you can't sit down and anticipate the day you just described, but you can't deny that it happened. And now when you look back at it and, and we try and somehow explain the randomness of our life, that weird little seemingly inconsequential moment was a hinge like a linchpin, and you and I aren't sitting here if that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. When you look at, because you talk about you, your, your pop was a huge influence, and even giving you the, 
the euphemism or the metaphor of the toolbox. Yeah. And that's something you've used and you've carried on. Have we lost that somehow? I don't, you don't hear young people talk that way, but that's not there on them. That's the one thing I'm getting, one thing I'm stopped doing is I won't use the terms Gen Z anymore. I hate grouping. Me too. Because I feel like grouping is an easy way out to actually not, you want to blame everything, like the world, everything you see on social media is not how the world is. That's right. And I think you've experienced that more than anyone because in all the places that, a lot of the dirty jobs you do, I never saw any of the guys on their phones while they were working. Never. Never. Unless they were using the phone as a tool. Right. To weigh or measure a thing. And America's more, would you say America's more that way than the social media way? It's just that it's, I always say it's 10% of 10%. Well, I think what you're talking about is a terrific book you would love called Collective Illusions by a guy named Todd Rose. And what Todd really starts off by saying is 80% of the content on Twitter, formerly known as X or X. X, formerly known as Twitter. Whatever it is. X, Y, again. Let's just call it Twix. That sounds good. I'm with that. Okay. 80% of the information on Twix (laughs) is actually provided by 20% of the users. So if you're just a guy scrolling through this vast dumpster fire of thought, ideas, and expressions. That's a great description, dumpster fire. What you see is the product of what roughly 20% of the participants are posting, but it feels like everything. Right. And so it's really easy to conclude that you are in the minority when you're in an ecosystem like that, but you're not. You're not in a minority. There's another study you'll love. Um, a lot of research went into this. Huge surveys and focus groups where they wanted large groups of people to identify the 50 things that were most important to them. And then identify the 50 things that they believed were most important to other people. So on the first list, a four-year degree, right, is number 47. The amount of people who truly value, truly value a four-year degree it is very small. But on the other list, when asked how many people do you think value a four-year degree and where would they rank it, it's number three. So wow. that, that's just one of a gajillion examples of how we get fooled by the noise that surrounds us and lead to all kinds of conclusions that are really rooted in something uh, illusory. You know, one of the things that you've done, um, you focused on the jobs that you had to have a skill set to do or learned, passed on, whatever, a lot of hands-on stuff that makes, we get very lazy in this country and we just flushing a toilet and turning on your lights. Yeah. Everyday things that we don't realize that there are people who've made that possible and have to keep it maintaining. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Do you see it all a drop off where trades, because for a long time it was, if you didn't go to college, when I was growing up, it was very simple. If you didn't, you weren't, didn't go to college, you weren't going to have anything. Yeah, you're like screwed. In my, in my family, they, no one had been to college, but they thought that as soon as you got to college, your life was going to be 
so much better. Because once you got that degree, your life was easy. Street. Golden ticket. Yeah. But there was no reference. Right. It was the assumption. Because my, in my family, everyone was a truck driver. Mm -hmm. It was like passed down. You, everybody wrote, drove trucks. At 6'8", 330 pounds, I didn't think driving trucks was going to be the thing for me. I had My head was in the clouds, as they would say. I was Literally. always looking yeah. for something else. You know, I just didn't. I didn't even like driving shotgun in the trucks, yeah. even with the bed in the back. It was just not my thing. So it was something I was interested to do. When you hear about in today's game, especially we're seeing with kids, can't, they get out of college, they got 70 grand over their head in loans, and the job that they went to school for doesn't exist you know, because if, if it's a gender studies or if it's a silly degree like that, an, an artistic degree like that, there's only a certain lane for that. Do you think that's more normal than people going into the trade world? Why has it become not sexy to be to have a trade, to be a, an electrician, a plumber? Because you know, like, why, why is it so like, why is it such a stigmatism? Like somehow you're losing if you're your own man with no bills over your head. Because we can't promote one thing without denigrating the other in equal and opposite ways, right? It's a very Newtonian way to think about it. Every action- is black or white. Either you has an equal and opposite reaction. So when, when, when higher ed needed a PR campaign, and it did, mid-late 60s through the 70s, we needed more engineers, we needed more doctors, we needed more people looking toward the Ivy League as an aspirational thing. And so there was a lot of nomenclature and there was a lot of push throughout the guidance counselor system and through secondary ed to get people into those schools. But we weren't satisfied to simply make a more persuasive case for higher ed. We had to do it at the expense of all other forms of education. So what we said was, if you don't get your paper, you're screwed. You're gonna wind up driving a truck or turning a wrench, right. or doing some other unskilled, monkey-based thing. What we forgot was that the vast panoply of skills that are required to keep the workforce in balance are the very things we used to celebrate in shop class before we ripped all of that away. Yeah, where is shop class? Well, you'll find it in individual uh, schools that really had to spring out of nowhere because we took it out of the public schools. You'll find it in a lot of uh, big companies will have these smaller uh, initiatives that you don't hear much about. Caterpillar does something called Think Big, which is basically shop class. They got to train their own people now because the schools won't do it. Because yeah, we had, when I was, we had wood shop, we had metal shop, and we had auto class. Um, Wood, metal, we had farmers, auto. and then yeah. we had the, the farmer class. There was all. There was at least. I remember home ec. Home ec, yes, because you learned how to make an omelet, or put on a button. Yeah, or sew a thing. So okay. So here's. I have to. I my kids are homeschooled. So uh, and my daughter, she everything from jujitsu to horseback riding to sewing. So she's another one who's got lanes everywhere. To find a sewing class to teach her because we're. I'm always trying to think of my kids, what would, could my kids survive mm -hmm. if I dropped them off in the woods for, let's say, five hours? Could they make it? <laughs> right. I wasn't so sure. So I was like, yeah. you need to learn some skills, right? I, and we have something in common. Now, we both were in the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Now, I made it to Life Scout. I didn't finish, I didn't finish the path to Eagle Scout. But, um, so I was trying to get them to do things with their hands. I was like, for every computer class you want, you got to give me one, I call it boots on the ground thing. 
Sure. So she took uh, sewing, horseback riding, and jujitsu. Those were her, her, her things that she was going to do. And then my other kids, they all do the art. But the sewing thing, I take her to do sewing, and it's just the stitch stuff. So yeah. when I asked, when do we learn how to make buttons and stuff like that, the sewing instructor told me, well, that's a whole entire different class. Right. So even the, the stuff that you want to, the, the, the where she's in the forest and she could make cordage and all these kind of things, it's like lost because the easy way is you just put it on the machine. I think, I think that's true, but I think the other thing that's um, informing all that is we're living in the age of the specialist. We used to live in the age of the generalist. We used to live at a time, well, certainly. Uh, Jack of all trades, masters of some. Well, you had to be in, a, in an agrarian society. You know, farmers have to be businessmen, weathermen, electricians, veterinarians. They have to be able to balance it. They have to do everything. And I feel sometimes like today what's happened is we've, we've fallen in love with the idea of what's your speciality? Like what's the, what's the one thing? Right, what's right? your it factor? And that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty great if you want a new kidney, you know? It's pretty great, if, you know, for, for certain kinds of things. But if you want a well-rounded kid, I got news for you. The Boy Scouts still matter. You know, I mean. I learned, I, I can tell you, I still know my, I was Troop 315. My Scoutmaster was Mr. Cruz. And getting my toesmanship was one of the coolest things ever because then I could walk around with an axe. My Scoutmaster was Glendon Huntington. He was a former Lieutenant Colonel. He ran Troop 16 like a platoon. There was discipline. There were consequences. Yep, we had a boxing ring where kids could settle their differences like gentlemen. We went shooting every other week, bows, arrows, rifles. It was not a safe space. It was a dangerous place for boys with a lot of rough elbows and a lot of consequences. And, you know, I look back at that and, man, I, I, was, I was never comfortable, but I was always happy. Yeah, I just always remember being busy. So we had King of the Mountain. That's how we settled it. You know, and so I was King of the Mountain a lot. Of course but, you were. But um, uh, I'm sorry, I got to ask. Did you ever play Swing the Thing in Boy Scouts? Yes. That, Swing the Thing, because we used to go to um, Jamborees. Yep. And uh, Capture the Flag, my troop won a championship. The, capture I the love flag Capture was, the Flag. Capture the Flag was, that was, I mean, and to sacrifice for the team. Because I was a tall guy, so I would run dead for the flag, and they would all come. They would get all come me, to you, and, and then little, my little guy would come around the side. Yep, and I was like, this I did it terrific. for the squad. You know, people should know what swing the thing is, at least the way we played it. Yes, I think so, we explain it thoroughly. All right, so you take a. We used to take a, a tent bag, just an empty burlap bag. Yep, and we'd fill it with wet rags, get it heavy, and then we would tie a rope <laughs> yep. to it, about twelve feet long, and one guy would stand in the center of a circle. And he would swing that thing yep. about this high off the ground. And, you know, the physics at play here. This, this and it starts fast. going. Fast. Yep. So you got to jump over it. Yep. you got to jump over it. And eventually somebody doesn't jump right. And the thing hits their ankles and they go down like a cheap card table. Yeah, they flip. Sure. Because I was good at it. I bet you were. Plus, it, uh, Conan the Barbarian, yeah. was he did the thing where he'd swing. And so you, and uh, one of my favorite wrestlers did the Irish Sheik had these giant things he used to do like this. So I was, get, I was pretty good at it because we tried to do it with two. We were trying to come around like this, trying to, and. Uh, Dude, if I saw you in the middle of a swing the thing game, 
Did you, I, I wouldn't even. I'd be like, no. I wouldn't even. Okay. Did you do the? Uh, did you do the? The test where you got to you start out in your underwear in your sleeping bag. Uh huh. How fast you can get out of your sleeping bag, get your uniform, get dressed, roll up, unpack, pack up your tent, and be ready to hit the road and, Absolutely. in your backpack. Like there would be teams, and everyone would be cheering. And and nowadays I don't I don't I don't even see that. I haven't seen signs for jamborees or anything like that. We the, took the scouts a kid. just got smaller. We took a kid in his sleeping bag, tied him up in it, and ran him up the flagpole because he's. He, he shirked on his KP duties the night before. We took a kid in a cot while he was sleeping, walked him down to the lake at Broad Creek in Maryland, and put him in a rowboat and just pushed it out into the middle of the lake. Oh, you meatballed him? Yeah. We did, I mean... Yeah, we did soap in the socks. For sure. Some stuff. I'm sure we probably... Oh, statute of limitations. We're good. <laughs> but there was, a, there, was, there was law. There was a certain... But you know what? Because I got in trouble. I think it was. What was I? What did I do? I can't remember. Oh, I didn't. I didn't quite have my toesmanship, but I still wanted to carry a knife yeah. on a camping trip, and it was discovered. And I had to. I had to face trial. Nice. You know, and I had to. Uh, like my knife was confiscated, and I had to sleep under the stars. I was not allowed to use. That was the. The verdict was that, since I'm not following the rules. I don't get the comforts. Of, so they took my tent from me and I had to sleep under the stars. So consequences, right? Yep. You said before you hate groups. I do too. Groups lead to mobs, mobs lead to chaos and so forth and so on. But when you look at the Boy Scouts or the future farmers of America or the, I mean, the Skills USA is a great one. They all have codes. They all ask you to raise your hand and take an oath make a promise, a pledge. They have mottos. They have slogans. They have all these things. Merit badges. Merit badges, not effort badges. No, merit. Not intent badges. Merit. So, you know, that connective tissue in our society, I think, is, is really important. And so it's easy to make fun of those organizations. Oh, with their little uniforms and their jackets and the thing. But when you're a kid trying to find your road... You, you need to be weighed and measured. Listen, I, when I went from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts, when the navy blue and the yellow bandana had to go to the, to the tan mm -hmm. and olive green, I was a happy dude. Because that, sure. that was a big deal. Because we used, to be, we used to wear our uniforms on Fridays to school. So everyone would know. You're in the, and at first, I remember being one of the kids who made fun of it. Of course. Until like, I got invited to one. Then you're in it. Then I was in. For life, and I, I can't think like the the camping trips, the hunting trips, the fishing trips, and then the stuff we do. Like you had to go out. I remember because the big thing, you know, the old joke is you know you gotta help the lady cross the road. We were actively looking for ladies for, for ladies to help cross the road. And what's the and what's wrong with that? I mean, nothing. The slogan was "Do a good turn daily." Yeah, just do a decent thing, man. May I help you with that? My thing was how I got. I was always go uh, grocery shopping with my mom, so I would offer to bag other ladies groceries and that was yeah. my good thing for the day so how important was it for you you don't mind if i impersonate no. a host here no i'm i am so it's right. cool. so like <laughs> how many things did you do growing up that were on the outside of cool just about everything probably and did you feel like that you weren't fitting in and did you start to take a pride in the fact that it wasn't cool to the point where it started to feel 
a little cool in some way? At, at first, because I remember, uh, well, I was always awkward and weird. And, uh, I was like a great dame where like some days my legs worked and they didn't because I was growing in everything and I was clumsy. So uh, I was uncool quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and then when the Boy Scouts came along, I was like everyone else who wasn't in the Boy Scouts. We stupid uniforms. I'm not wearing dumb uniforms. I think we call the pants butt huggers. Yeah. But I'm not wearing butt huggers and all this stuff. Knee high socks yep. folded down. Yeah. The little yeah. That's the little merit thing. Like, you did, they they wanted you to get beat up. And they yeah. And they and then all of a sudden, because the way kids worked back then is like, <laughs> boys we fought first, then we became friends. And when you ride the bus. And he's sitting with his uniform next to me on the bus. And I'll never forget this kid's name is Jimmy King. And he's sitting there and his stuff. And he's like, you know, it's, you might like it if you went to it. And I was like, man, I ain't going on dumb meetings, stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, but you get stuff. I was like, Wait, what do you mean you get stuff? He's like, you can get uh, pocket knives. You can earn trips to this. We go camping. He's telling me all this stuff. And all I'm hearing is like, well, I get to be outside and get to sleep over and not have to be at home on the weekend. So <laughs> I was like, cool. And I went and asked my mom. And I was like, I want to try out the, the Cub Scouts. And she was like. When is it? It's like it's right after school. So yeah. I'm literally it's on my way home from school. And it's only on Wednesdays. Right. So and I think it was like sixty bucks to sign up or something like mm -hmm. that. And I had to I had to cut grass for I think for like three weeks to get the money to do. So I had to earn even just getting the cups up. Once I got in there and I was a part of it, uh, it changed. At first, while I was watching them doing their oaths and their activities and stuff, at first you're kind of like looking at them like I don't know about this. Right. But after maybe the third time I went. Everything, like waiting to get my first merit badge was a huge thing. And I could not wait to wear it to school. Even though I, when your first one is not great because you got this green sachet Big sash with one, with thing, one on thing on it. Yeah. And you're just walking around like, <laughs> just, good morning, everyone. Right. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Pay no attention to my, right. my, my merit badge. My one right badge. Yes. In basketball. But then you got them on your belt buckle, too. Skill awards. Now, hey, now that was Those worth its gold. That belt, you had when you're. Skill set, I remember the, the, camp, the camping one was my favorite. But yeah. those, I still, somewhere in the storage is a box with that belt. I got it. Yeah. I, I, I got the same thing. But, but look, that's the point. It's like when you're, when you're trying to figure out who you are and you're going in and out of these organizations that have codes and have rules and have consequences, that to me is what I think might be missing today. Because the chance to the chance to fit in and the chance not to fit in are equally powerful to different people right. in the same way. So when I I'm mean, just sitting here talking to you, I'm I'm thinking, okay, Boy Scouts, uncool, barbershop quartet, uncool, opera, uncool, school plays, uncool. Mm, I played, school play. Played baseball. That was kind of cool. Like so I was in and out of a lot of different but you were in different cool environments. Because what and was uncool. Un and uncool. Right. Which I think everyone is. Do you think it's, uh, before I let you go, do you think it's the accountability, I guess, is what, the, one of the biggest things I learned from being a part of these groups is everyone had to pull their own weight. Mm -hmm. And for every badge I got, I usually failed about two times before I got it. Sure. And uh, I know it was one, I think I was like one, I had one when I took the test, I think I got one answer wrong, but it was just not enough to pass. And I remember, uh, the troop master was like, "Sorry, you didn't earn it this time." And I said, "Well, I want to try it again." He's like, "No, you can try it again later next time we offer it." Yep. And then we're going to go on to the next thing. So I had to wait the mm. following week before I tried it out oh. again. So, but during that week, I was prepared for when I came back, I was going to get it. You know, because 
Uh, because that is the motto. Be prepared. Right. But it was also be patient, not accepting failure and learning a little and being accountable because when the first time something didn't go my way, it was the sticks that wouldn't spark for the fire or there was the, the flint wouldn't go right or the, yeah. or the this, 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 I thought this was pine because you had to go pick different, you know, different parts of trees and bring them over and all this stuff. And I would make excuses for everything else. And, but at the end of the day, it would be, but you're the one who brought them to me. So who's really responsible for not getting this one done? Right. And I learned that with the Boy Scouts. Accountability was a huge thing, which it's amazing because you get little pieces of yourself with each little thing you try. And that's eventually you, the jigsaw puzzle of all little things where we are today are all little pieces of this, the Boy Scouts or this. Although we were both in the Boy Scouts, our paths were completely different. And But we ended up sitting across from each other. The Boy Scouts are different today than they were then. Yeah. We're different today than we were then. Everything is always moving all of the time in different directions. And we have a desire, I think, to make sense of the world and to have a playbook. But it's, it's a trap. It's another one of those illusions. It's like nailing jello to a tree when you're trying to answer some of these big questions, in my view. For instance, you're talking about standards and you're talking about merit. In 1955, the average GPA among Harvard graduates was 2.55. Today, this month, it's 3.8. 3.8, when I was in school, was summa cum laude. Yeah, I'm, I was like a 3.2 at best. Yeah. So are, are people coming out of Harvard and out of higher ed today that much smarter than they were in the mid-50s? Or did something change? Did the standards change in some way? Personally, I think the answer is obviously, yeah. of course. So we're, we're living in a relative world. A lot of people are trying to raise this generation and I don't wanna beat up on them either. I'm with you. Gen Z, Gen X, the millennials, all the grouping, all the painting with a broad brush, that sucks, it's not fair. And I'll tell you what scares me most. I read last week in the journal that 36% of Americans still believe the American dream is a thing, which means 60-some don't. So we're living in a time right now when a lot of people have come to the conclusion that there's a thumb on the scale and that the system is rigged and that there is no hope for them. And I believe that's a collective illusion. Right. Is that because they replaced accountability with simplicity. Because even if you look at our, our sports, like basketball players today score vastly more than, than guys did 20 years ago. Why? Because they took hand checking out. They made defense was too aggressive back then. Right. Boy Scouts, uh, there's no more camping, no more consequences. You can't do the, that. Oh, no. You, you right. No more the, swing the thing. Are you, you, cr are you kidding? Even capture the flag is maybe possibly oppressive. Somebody you know? could lose and then feelings. You know is that okay? And let's let... Is that, the, is that the fear? Is that what over-parenting or over under-educating is over? We don't want kids to fail because the failure is what you need to succeed, in my opinion. I don't think you can have one without the other. The word, one of the words is, is coddling. There's a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, a guy named Greg Lukianoff. It's terrific. And it talks about all these things. And that's real and that's happening. But something else has happened too, and it has to do with PR 
and it has to do with perceptions about vocations and education. And, you know, I had dinner just last night with a guy that runs a big company filled with people who build foundations and fix foundations. The vast majority of the people who do this work got through, uh, through high school barely. And we were talking about this article in the journals. We were talking about the belief that you're screwed without a four-year degree or some skills in the med, all of it. He told me that you can start working on the, this is hard work, Tyrus. You're under the house, yeah. it's muddy, you're not gonna like it. 55, 60 grand to start, 14 months later, six figures. Wow. Now, we're talking thousands of jobs available to people with no secondary education who can get to a six-figure reality by simply doing the thing that you don't want to do. It's not going to be fun. It's, it's not going to yeah. be fun. It's going to hurt, right? But I, I take so much hope in that because I know for a fact that was a big lesson from Dirty Jobs, and I know through my foundation there are many, many, many companies where the American dream is alive and well. But nobody's talking about it, man. And that's a crime. That's a disservice to this generation. Yeah, I, you know what? And I think about all that all the time because Generation X, whatever. But all the guys that, that I grew up with that have been successful or not successful, it's all the same thing. It's, well, it's whatever I got, whatever I put into it. Yeah. If I do the work, good things will happen. Yeah. And now the message is, well, if it's hard, don't do it. I think, look, nobody wants the middle-aged dude on his porch shaking his fist. No, it's and no one wants going, you kids today, you Z. It's not I that, won't do that either. It's, it's not it, about it was, being lazy. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But I would also say that anybody listening to this shouldn't forget the day you described when you stepped in to do a thing that you didn't anticipate doing. You... You stepped into a, a new world. You, you took another road. Right. And that road took you to a lot of great places. And so you have to be willing to pivot. And you, you can't fall too hard in love with your own dream or, or, or your own sense of where the road's going to go. Right? You can be prepared, Boy Scout 101. You can show up early. You can stay late. You can take your bite of the crap sandwich when it's your turn. But you have to always look for that moment right. that you described because that's the thing when you look back. That's the thing you'll realize got you to wherever you are. Kids, hopefully you're listening. Gary, are you paying attention to this? Hey. Help you get on the right path finally? I'm here for you, Gary. Yeah, no pressure, but we're all counting on you. I always, yeah, it's too late for you. And you're interrupting now. Thank you. Um, I love Gary. Oh, man, I don't even know how to thank you for this, because one of the things I love about any time, any time I have an encounter with you, I always learn something and I always learn something about myself. And I think that's the the awe of you is when people and I was teasing you when we were coming up here because you're in, in the elevator. I was on in the elevator. He's on in the elevator. <laughs> so and I'm like I said, that's when I said he has the he has, uh, he has America's voice because I'm in the elevator and I'm I'm about to talk to this. Like that was the the bit when you first time I think we met. You, I think you were on Gutfeld was the first time that we did the Gutfeld. We were show. on Gutfeld. We had a few laughs. Yeah. I called you a year ago and said, "Would you do my podcast?" Yeah. And then I came on your podcast. You came on the podcast and I said, 
anytime I can return the favor. And then and I'll he has this return all this. So yeah. no, you don't have to thank me. That's a uh, a promise made is a debt unpaid. Well, man to man, thank you, sir. Anytime. Yes, sir. <laughs>